0: listening to the 30 podcast here's your host jazz kang
1: all right Sixer fans we are back doing our weekly live stream joining me for this one of course the man that tyrese maxey referred to as mr paul mr paul hedrick and jackson frank writes for us over at liberty ballers first off fellas it feels like a weird thing because it's like a bye week right now. It's like an NBA. Like why well, the Sixers played on Sunday. Obviously, we'll get into Joel Embiid's masterful performance there, but kind of weird that the like these teams are not playing for like four or five days at a time. Of course, Sixers have a big one coming up against the, the Bucks. Paul, we'll start with you. You were in the building on Sunday. Got to see Joel Embiid absolutely thrash the Utah Jazz, even though it was a close game overall. 59-point uh, performance, almost had a quadruple double. I know you talked about it a little bit on the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast, which is a part of the Liberty Ballers podcast network. Don't forget that as well. Uh, but let us know, what was it like for you being in the building, seeing Embiid do that, and then – because I know you talked about the crowd reaction too, basically that people were kind of sleepwalking through it. They were paying attention to what was going on in the Cowboys-Packers game, and then the fourth quarter happened. So walk us through what it was like being at, at Wells Fargo for that.
0: Yeah, I think everybody was kind of sleepwalking into that game. It was, you know, they just played the night before, obviously, beat the Hawks. Sunday, football Sunday, uh, Eagles were off. There just wasn't a lot of juice to any, like, as media members, I felt like we were all kind of just like, all right, here we go, like 7.30, Utah Jazz. And, like, with respect to the Jazz, who are a good basketball team, there's just not a lot of juice to that matchup. There's no, like, you know, no rivalry there. There's no necessarily, like, superstar player on the Jazz. So there's just... Just not much there, right? Going into the matchup, but just like, okay, let's you know, let's see what they do. They they need to win another game here, and you felt that through most of the game because even to the first half, I, I think it beat had twenty four, and, and it just felt like, okay, like here is you know, Joel Embiid. This is kind of what happens when James Harden doesn't play. Like, you know, Joel Embiid just kind of has to do everything, and here we are, and, and they were down too at the half, obviously. So yeah, it's just there was a little bit of a malaise. To me, the third quarter is when I felt like, okay. Um, the end of the third quarter, he's got 33-8-8. Eight and eight. I'm like, alright, there's something kind of crazy happening here because as great as he is, 33-8-8 eight and eight in three quarters of basketball is pretty ridiculous. And then the fourth quarter starts and he looks great there and he's making everything and you're like, alright, he's not only does he have a chance for like a 50-point quadruple double, like this has a chance to be insane. And then when he's just blocking like every single shot, and not only, not only that, like he gets five blocks and he could have had like four more. Like he was like at the rim on a couple more. Like it felt like every time the jazz went to the rim, he was there. Uh their baskets that felt like all came on offensive rebounds or threes. Like they just got nothing near the rim when he was in the game. And we're all like legitimately laughing in the press area because it just is so wild to watch. He completely took over the game. And, definitely when the fourth quarter came the like we, the crowd started sensing it and it just, you felt it um, that he was just taking this game over. And I, in person, I don't know that I've ever seen a better individual performance and post game. It was, it was just such a cool vibe to be around it. You know what I mean? Like the locker room was like such a, considering the Sixers locker room, isn't always the greatest place to be this season um, after games. And, um, the Wells Fargo Center isn't necessarily always the greatest place to be after games, but this was just, there was such a different feel to it. And I never take the paper box scores ever when they hand them out post game because it's 2022 and I do not need that. <laughs> but for this game, I actually <laughs> did take it because I'm like, all right, this is one that I should actually take and keep because there is certainly something. Mean, you look at like basketball reference, I believe it was the seventh greatest game <laughs> ever according to their game score rankings. So yeah, it, it was just, it, it's, one of those things you will never forget uh, as a person covering the team, and the stories afterwards too, like him talking about telling Arthur and stuff like that, and him talking shit to Laurie Markkinen and saying he's got to put Arthur to bed. It's just adds to the lore of that game, and to me, I, and I might I said this on on the podcast yesterday too, and I might get crushed for it a week from now, but it felt like one of those moments where perhaps the tide is turning a little bit for them. They got a long way to go you already said they have a really tough game against Milwaukee. Who's been absolutely terrific. Brooke Lopez looks like the best defensive center in the NBA. Um, somehow he's getting better at defense as he gets older, which is okay. Uh, we'll just go with that. But he's, um, they are just a, such a tough team and a really tough matchup for the Sixers, especially without Harden. So um, yeah, it, it felt like perhaps this could be a turning point to the season and um, bead looking like, the dominant player he has for the last few seasons here.
1: Yeah. And then again, a well, welcome site after you know, we heard they did plantar fasciitis throughout the offseason, didn't really get a ton of, of work in uh, throughout the summer. So uh, we expected him to start a little bit slow, obviously he had to deal with um, some injuries as well. And then the illness. So looking like Joel Embiid is back second overall right now in the NBA in scoring, as we're recording this uh, Jackson, want to jump over to you when you're looking at this, the team, the Sixers itself, obviously it's been a roller coaster ride so far, seven and seven through fourteen games. You look at the difference between the offense and the defense, and this is where for me it looks interesting. You, you know, the Sixers. If you look at some of the the traditional numbers, um, given up thirty one point five percent on three point shooting, that's tops in the league. You look at the fact that they give up one hundred six point five points per game, that's second best in the league, second fewest out of any NBA team. But then you look at the offensive end. Averaging 108.5. I believe that's the, the fourth or fifth lowest mark uh in the NBA currently at this point. So our third lowest part to, to correct that. But looking at this right now, why do you think there's been such a difference? Obviously, Harden's absence has had an impact, hoping that he's back in the next two to three weeks or so. But when you're looking at the offensive struggles, and we saw this throughout last season, especially given the fact that, and Paul, we were talking a bit before we started rolling that. Ben Simmons stuff again you know gave us a lot to talk about on the on the podcast network but when the Sixers didn't have that second quote-unquote superstar next to Embiid we had to see him put up 35 40 a night just for the Sixers to win a close one so Jackson when you're looking at maybe some differences and similarities to what the Sixers situation was last season early on compared to now what are you seeing on the offensive end that they might need to improve or is it just going to have to be hey Joel Embiid carry us till Harden comes back and then hope for the best
2: yeah, I mean, they were fifth in offensive rating before Harden went down. Uh, I think the fact that he's been gone and then that Maxie's uh, fallen off a bit after a white-hot start, kind of adjusting to a different role again, and the jumper hasn't been falling as often aside from that second Hawks game when he was he was really good alongside Embiid being dominant in that game as well. Um, I think those are the two biggest factors. I don't know quite where they were defensively before Harden's absence. Obviously, playing Matisse-Thibel and Anthony Melton more minutes and no Harden. I think Harden has been okay defensively like he's had the classic stuff where he gets blown by and maybe misses gets back up but he's been really active with his hands but point being is Matisse and D'Anthony Melton are obviously more impactful defensive players so that's helped but like I, I think they're fine I think the offense is going to be a slog it's going to require a lot of big nights from Maxi and and Joel on certain nights when maybe the three and the four depth of the opponent isn't great you'll go to Tobias a lot we saw them go to Tobias a lot in that Suns win last week especially in the first half so I um, think it's just going to come down to those three. And, you know, like I said, when when your best creator, best perimeter creator is out and your second best perimeter creator is struggling for the ball to go in the hoop and, you know, kind of adapting to a changing role again, you're not going to be a very good offense. I mean, they only scored, what, 105 points, even with Joel scoring 59 and assisting on 19 more. I think I did the math and he ended up scoring or assisting on 78 of the 91 points when he was in the game. Uh, so and they shot ridiculously poor from three I want to say four of 22 or something so that that hurts some um but yeah I'm not really worried about the offensive if they if Harden comes back in two weeks and they are 12th in offensive rating after eight more games then yeah maybe you should give some pause because you want this team to be really really good offensively and you have two offensive superstars like Joel and and, and James um but I think you're kind of looking the the recipe you know when everyone gets healthy is going to be you know, a top five to six offense and kind of a top 10 defense. I don't think, I mean, they've been top two or three on on defense the last few weeks. I don't think you can expect that to maintain, you know, they've gotten a little bit lucky from three. Like you said, Jazz, you know, they're last in a potent, you know, three point rate, you know, you can, you can affect shots a little bit, but sometimes you just get lucky. These professionals are going to make a lot of tough shots usually, or, you know, contested shots. So uh, that's, uh, so for me, I don't look at the offense and go, Oh, there are some huge issues. You know, yeah, we know that, doc you know isn't the most creative play caller but uh,
1: he's not really
2: <laughs> but, but to me it's just it's just a lack of like personnel you know i i i harped on it early in the season that they were lacking creativity but the fact of the matter is is when they have james and joel out there they've been a the top five offense this year and and that was with even some of joel's couple of slow starts hard and even you know had some pretty poor shooting nights you know right before he got injured unfortunately um and they didn't you know but Joel missed the last two games before Harden got injured. Right, he missed you know the, the the two games against the Wizards. So uh, I expect this offense to be you know right up there top five six when Joel when James gets back and you know assuming Joel continues to play like he you know has on the ag- aggregate. I don't you know we're not expecting forty two and fifty nine every every game. But yeah, the offense to me is just a lack of personnel and Maxi struggle. struggling. I think the defensive improvement is kind of where you should be most optimistic. Um, and I think, you know, they're, they're getting there. They, you know, I think, you know, I think Daniel house has played a little better as of late. I think, you know, PJ Tucker, despite his struggles on the perimeter uh, has been, you know, a really good interior helper. Um, he did some good stuff against Lowry Mark and just forcing him tough, you know, farther out on the catch and stuff like that. You know, Lowry had some impressive plays. because He's having a great year and he's a good player. But uh, yeah, I, I think on the whole, you're looking at a defense that's kind of figuring things out and when, Joel plays as active as he did in you know, the last couple of games, and even I would say just in general the last couple of weeks when he's played, uh, you're going to be in a pretty good spot. So, um, yeah, to me, I don't I don't look at this these offensive struggles and go it's anything more than Harden being out and Maxi going through quite a, a slow stretch offensively.
1: Yeah, Paul, looking, like harping on what, what Jackson's saying here too, we talked about this last year, and especially going into the offseason, they wanted to add some just legitimate NBA talent. You're talking guys who might be 6th, 7th, 8th in your rotation. Uh, got to start a starter starter. Starting, pardon me, starting caliber player in PJ Tucker, uh, but looking at the defensive end of it, things are are going the way we expected it to, right? Like they're they're giving up the second fewest points in the NBA, uh, giving up the, the lowest field goal percentage in terms of threes to the opponents in in the league. So things are are clicking that way. But Jackson, you were mentioning the offense too. You look at, since Harden's been out, Harden was great in terms of being a facilitator, uh, was averaging 10 assists a game. Since he's been gone, nobody on the Sixers averaging five, right? Maxie's at 4.4, Joel's at 4.1. So nobody's really being able to create at this time. Paul, when you're, and again, you cover the team a lot. You're at basically every home game, go to most of the practices. So you're around the the squad pretty often. When you're looking at, at what adjustments the Sixers can possibly make at this time, what do you think they're going to be able to do in order to counteract this? Because we mentioned this. they got a tough schedule coming up. You've got Milwaukee on Friday. The Bucs are obviously off to a great start. The Celtics have overtaken them in the standings you got minnesota a team that's a little bit on the struggling side right now in terms of six and eight so far people expected better and then obviously we'll jump into what's happening next tuesday but you're looking at this that the schedule is not going to be easy with harden not in the lineup so what are you expecting the team to try and do to try and manufacture some easy looks and get some get some better shot opportunities without their main guy in terms of harden running the show
0: yeah i think you're not I mean, it's it's a cliche thing, but it's true. Like you're not going to replace James Harden. He's James Harden. He's one of the 75 greatest players of all time. He's, you know, him and Chris Paul are the two best passers, creators for others in the entire NBA. So you're not going to do that with one guy. You're not just going to throw a guy in the lineup and and, and it's going to get better. But I I think the two, you know, you say Maxi and Embiid, they're the two guys that have led the team in assists since then. Well, I I, I think that's sort of your answer. Juelen Embiid has taken more of a playmaking role um, from the middle of the floor. I think, you know, some of the work he got to do last year on the short role, you know, doing the pick and roll with James Harden and operating from that area of the floor, do, you know, from the elbow, from the nail, um you see how much better he's kind of gotten there and how much better he's seeing the floor and Doc Rivers talked about that too and how they're trying to put him the the, the main thing they've wanted to do is make sure he knows the basically he knows the answers to the test before the test comes and that's been the case and he just you can because listen, he scored 59 points the other night and that was, you know, extraordinarily impressive. He also had eight assists. Um, so just goes to show you that he's, and he, it could have easily, easily had 10, like easily had double digit assists that night. Yeah. A lot of guys missed shots. Tobias Harris missed a couple pretty easy shots. Um, Maxie as Jackson, already talked about Maxi's shooting has been pretty much down uh, other than that, that Hawks game. He's been mostly down, um, shooting wise. So, I think shot luck is is part of the issue. They're not going to shoot this poorly from three. They have some pretty darn good three-point shooters that should that should all even out. And as long as Joel Embiid continues to play this way and he's not just trying because that's the other thing, too. He scored 59 points, but none of that felt forced, right? Like that all felt like that was all coming easily. Like he was he was dynamite in the mid-range. He just couldn't miss a shot. His drives were on point. He had two passes to me that I feel like Okay, like, even a year ago, maybe he doesn't make the pass. And the one is that play where it's a side pick and roll with Maxi and Tobias Harris, and Tobias cuts to the basket, and B gets it at the elbow, throws a bounce pass to Tobias Harris on a backdoor cut. That's not something Joel and B normally sees or, or is able to execute. It was perfectly done. Um, and then there was another play where he drove and did, like, this Euro step, and then gave a no-look pass to Maxi in the corner. Like, that's let's like Giannis-ish like that's the kind of stuff that Giannis does and um clearly they are not one to one they are very they're very special in their own ways and great great players but i think there is some stuff that Embiid can take from Giannis in that regard where cuz Giannis faces the same thing right like he, you pack the paint against them and the the entire defense is is trying to stop him and make anyone else beat you um and you're going to give him you know the three pointer and you're going to give him Maybe not as much with Embiid, but you're going to give them the mid range more than you want them to drive to the basket. So, if Embiid can can see the floor when he's driving and not just get tunnel vision and force things, I think that's going to help the offense tremendously as far as you know him being a better playmaker. And Maxi too, I think part of it's shooting, he just struggling from the field. Part of it is the role, like Jackson talked about, he's kind of stuck in between sometimes. Like, okay, when do I attack and when do I playmake? And he, he seemed like he just kind of. Still doesn't have a great feel for that Like it's not coming naturally to him And Doc has talked about that as well That you know just play And when the play like you just have to see The playmaking opportunities when they're there If not you know don't let it take away Your aggressiveness as a scorer because you're trying To get other people involved Um, I think too Max he's gotten a little bit in his head That the, the with officiating Not getting some calls And he's kind of talked to officials Maybe more than I've ever seen him do it since he's gotten into the league So all those things are factors, and I, I think another guy, too, that could really help with the playmaking is is D'Anthony Melton. Uh, he has been really like a perfect puzzle piece for this team. He's borderline indispensable for this rotation, the way he's played so far on both ends of the floor. But the one thing I liked about him, and it's not happening as much with Embiid because it's where Embiid operates, but when like Melton was doing the pick and roll with, with Harden and operating kind of out of the middle of the floor and finding finding um, shooters and everything and that. Like, that was really impressive. I did not know that that was something that was in... I knew he was a pretty good playmaker. I knew he was a good passer, but I did not know that was kind of in his bag there. So, um, the the short answer is, it's just, it's a team effort because James Harden is great and he's a great facilitator. He's a great creator. So, you're not going to replace him with one guy. Everyone just has to do... uh, Everyone just has to pick up the slack and it's going to be... Embiid and Maxi are the biggest guys that have to do that because they are going to have their, the ball in their hands. The most
1: Jackson, we're talking, you know, about the, the, the good and the bad. And, and like Paul saying right now, making the adjustments without having Harden there. And like we said, the team we're expecting when, when Harden gets back will be a lot better on the offensive end. Paul, you're, you're referring guys like Melton, obviously Daniel house been a bit of a disappointment so far in terms of his, his performance since, since signing with Philly. But uh, Jackson, when you look at this, in your opinion, who has been the biggest disappointment for you on the Sixers from a player standpoint?
2: yeah I think that's that's interesting. i I think the the easy choice and this is me like the this is me pushing against Washington and add some context, The easy choice would be pJ Tucker, given you know how quickly they signed him, the rumors about him, the fact that they you know have been found to tamper to, to sign him uh, and you know the contract they gave him in the years. and I think there's some validity to that to an extent. but I also think and I, I wrote about this. I remember cautioning against the sixers signing him because i I've read a lot about the context that was favorable in Miami and, and that why it wouldn't be replicated in, in Philadelphia. And I think the biggest issues is they're treating him as like this ISO stopper. And that's not his role. Part of the reason he was so good in Miami is because he would get up on a guy on the point of attack and he would pressure them. And then he'd pass it off to another really good perimeter defender this time. They don't have that. They're putting him in space. The six don't have that put him in space. They're, they're asking, okay, go guard, go guard, go guard, Jalen Brunson, go guard, Bradley Beal, Guard, I don't know, you know, different other guys, you know, maybe Drew Holiday every now and then, and that's not really his game. He's a guy that's gonna like give you three to four seconds or five, six seconds of pressure, and then pass them off to somebody else. Uh, and then offensively, the the Sixers are much more of a, you know, I think I think back to that viral quote that we saw from Doc at. Uh, you know, the open practice, right? This is not a democracy in terms of the offense, right? The Heat offense is a lot more of a democracy. There's a lot more side-to-side motion. They have a lot more movement shooting to kind of get P.J. Tucker on those short rolls. We've seen it a little bit with Harden, where they run kind of stuff in the corners and the, the deep wings, and Harden gets doubled. and they throw it over the top, but that's the, like, yeah, I think Tucker has to be better, but to me, it's like, I, to me, it hasn't been personally a disappointment because I just kind of knew what we were getting into. I think he could be better, but I think, it's, to me, it has to be Daniel house. I think he's getting better, but You know, he hasn't quite figured out the proper balance of the shooting versus driving. And that's something that you talk to Houston Rockets fans. They'll tell you all about the fact that sometimes it's like, just shoot the three, Daniel. Like, don't drive. And I think you're seeing that at times. He's a little bit hesitant. They're finding some stuff a little bit. I think they're kind of using him as a pick and pop guy a little more above the break, which he seems to like. I feel, you know, I'd have to go back and look, but it seemed as though maybe in Houston he was working above the break a little more, whereas now in Philadelphia, he's been, you know, on the corners and that's just kind of an adjustment. It's a shorter shot. You know, you just play on a basketball court. You realize that there's just a different dynamic when you play above the break versus the corners. Um, again, I could be off there and I, you know, I don't want to be too firm, but I, you know, that's kind of my general recollection uh, there. So I think, I think it's, it's house for me. Um, but, but in all, I don't, I don't think they've, I don't know. I think they've, I would say just the biggest disappointment is the lack of cohesion a lot of the times, defensively. defensive. It's gotten better now, but you look at a lot of those early losses when they were 0-3 and 4-6 and or whatever, 3-6, and whatever it was. A lot of it was just they're messing up simple switches. You know, a guy cuts and one person thinks they're getting passed off to a teammate and the other person thinks the original guy is staying with them. So uh, that, that's the biggest issue. And, you know, maybe it's just me being holding on to my priors because I, I thought this team would be really good. I thought they'd be better than 7-7, seven and seven, but I, I think there's clearly – reasons for why they're seven and seven some of which are within their control like I said defensive cohesion some of that offensive stagnation even when James Harden's in the game uh you know falls on the entire team you know Doc could be better but also we always know about James Harden's lack of off-ball aggression and you know I think other guys like Tobias and even Joel and Maxi and some guys could be better about movement as well and there's other things outside of control Harden's missed four or five games Joel's missed four games you know if you want to call us outside of their control, Maxi, you know, struggled to shoot the ball. He was a great he had been a great shooter for over a year now. So um yeah, I would just say that the biggest disappointment would be that that defensive cohesion that I think is getting better, but certainly something that, you know, on a game to game basis you can still point out a handful double digit times, even in their good performances where it's like, all right, let's stream on this. This isn't gonna work against a top five, six offense. You know, when you look at, you know, the best teams in the league, especially through the Eastern Conference, you know, the Celtics are their top ranked offense in the league. Uh, and they for the top-ranked defense. Slash, the Bucks are going to get better offensively when Drew, you know, gets healthy and Middleton comes back too. So um, that's going to be a really good offense, and we know how good Giannis is. So uh, you look at, you know, I, I I don't know if the the Nets ever get there, but that's a team that obviously could have a lot of offensive firepower if Kyrie returns. KD's KD, they've got shooting, so um, you you can afford to be pretty good like they have been. But if you really want to go where this team aspires to go. That defensive cohesion's got to be on point. Unfortunately for them, you know they've got five months till, till these games really, really start to to press on them in terms of you know playoff context. But that'd be the biggest thing for me is kind of just they don't seem all there together, which is understandable. Half the rotation's new, but that's been where I felt like I've pointed to the most like criticism in my notes and my analysis through you know a month.
1: Oh, you're right, Jackson. You know, and then and this team is not, and we've said this before throughout a lot of the offseason, Nobody cares if this team finishes first or six in the, in the Eastern conference is going to be judged on how far it goes in the playoffs. And you mentioned, you got teams like Milwaukee, you got teams like Boston who are figuring things out early, uh, Milwaukee's still going to get some of their big guns back. You mentioned with Middleton and, and drew holiday having to get healthy and the Celtics look like they're figuring it out right now, winning seven in a row. So uh, that's where, again, the Sixers are going to have to, that's their measuring stick, right? Uh, ultimately that's where it's going to go. So, all right, Paul Jackson, let's jump into some Doc rivers and some Brooklyn Nets talk as well. We'll do that after a short break. Paul, I'm going to put you on the spot before we jump into some general NBA talk here as well. The Doc Rivers dilemma. Obviously, we've talked about it now for a couple of seasons. The lack of adjustments, uh, lack of imagination on the offensive end. When they were sitting at four and six, people were getting frustrated and like, yo, we got to move on from this guy winning. Obviously, cures everything. They're sitting at seven and seven at this point and looking at the schedule, 21 games between now and the end of the year. Twelve of them to me are very winnable games that they should win. Again, going to get a couple of other ones there against against tougher teams that they're going to be able to win as well. But let's just say hypothetically, and I know it's not the best way to look at life or anything else you do with hypo- hy- hypothetics, but um, let's just say they're they're twenty and twenty at the forty game mark. Is Doc Rivers going to be around for the second half of the season? Because this has been this has obviously been an issue. You have the horses, you have the guys. He's got to find a way to make it work.
0: It's. It's honestly impossible to answer because it's just not that black and white, right? Like, um, if they're twenty and twenty, and you know, Joel Embiid or James Harden has missed a significant amount of time, that's a factor. Or if something else just goes horribly wrong, like you know what I mean? Like, there's so many different. If, if everything is perfect and everything is right, and Joel Embiid is scoring thirty points a game, and James Harden is leading the league in assists, and they're still twenty twenty, yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they could look to make a change, but I. It it's all gonna depend on the context to me. I, I think it's gonna I'll say this, it's gonna take a lot for them to fire Doc Rivers. I mean, quite frankly, and that's not my opinion. That's just from what I understand, from what I know from people I've talked to. It they are they are they are confident in Doc Rivers, whether I know most people are not, most of the fan base is not. I get it. <laughs> but just the reality is, you know, Darren More, this organization, they they support Doc Rivers so it would have to go pretty badly. Um, and it would have like, to me, maybe if I don't know, Joel Embiid is not happy with something or James Harden is not having something di- that is directly done because of doc. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a direct thing of coaching or or one of them says to Daryl Morey, I don't think doc rivers is the guy like that. That's what has to happen to me. Like, I don't think it's going to be, Oh, the record is this or, Oh, the fans are pissed off. Like it, it's going to take a superstar player not being happy or, or just like it just looking really, really bad out there. I, 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 I don't think we see a coaching change in season unless it's just, unless it's catastrophic.
1: Yeah, and again they have options right like you mentioned i i think so too if, if things go really off the rails which people felt like might happen when they were at, at four and six and then obviously getting joe back has helped like you mentioned there's going to be some sort of context to it that hey hardens out and beads out but if those guys are are in the lineup Harden, we're anticipating like i said back hopefully within the next roughly three weeks or so and if things go are stale and things go south over the back half of december the pressure is going to amplify on daryl morey to make that move because again this is from what we understand, this is a team that is built to win a championship. Getting to the, the second round, nobody gives a crap anymore. You know what I mean? That's that that, that that's been the case for, for many years. Getting to a conference finals, okay, coming up a little bit short against Milwaukee and Boston, disappointing, but you're showing progress. So I think that's where people are looking at this from a Sixers perspective. Uh, let's jump into some general NBA talk to wrap up here. Obviously, the big news of the day, Kevin Durant coming out. He talked to Chris Haynes, basically saying... I'm playing with, uh, I'm not putting, I'm paraphrasing here, not playing with exactly great players in the starting lineup. Um, obviously deals with a lot of pressure, being one of the best basketball players of all time, trying to lead a squad that has had its share of turmoil and share of ups and downs over, over the last, definitely, you know, season and a half or so. Uh, the Nets sitting at six and nine got, Humbled by the, the the Sacramento Kings, giving up 153 points to a Kings squad. What is going on there? But he's um, playing good, though. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, a, it's still the Kings. The I mean, come on, it's still the Kings. They were right? playing well. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that.
2: 153, though. I guess that that is fair. It would be one thing if they lost, you know, by, by three or something. Give up yeah.
0: 153 points. Thanks. Losing to, to anybody by 30, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. losing the Warriors by. Well, you know, Warriors aren't exactly playing great right now, but you know what I mean. Celtics, if, the Bucks. The, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. The, is,
2: to the top of the West.
0: Yeah, anyone <laughs> <laughs> lose you by 30 points it is bad
2: yeah
1: but 153 come on man you, you know, know what i mean like that's, that's that's ridiculous but um jackson looking at the at the kd we're gonna jump into ben simmons return um after this but looking at at the kd thing i kind of agree with what he said you know i, I understand you don't want to throw your teammates under the bus um i i understand it's probably not going to go public with with some of the comments that he made but looking at it it's like well what more do you expect from the guy right like look at who he's playing with he said he didn't want to be there um, he said he, you know, wanted a coaching change and a GM change Well, you know, Steve Nash is gone now, Sean Marks still, still sitting there as the, as the GM, but it's like, what do you expect him to do at this point? of course he's going to come out and say this stuff like, yeah, you're playing with Royce O'Neill, Joe Harris, Nick Claxton. These guys are, are good NBA players. Nobody's saying that they're not, but if you're expecting that team to win a championship without a suspended Kyrie at this point with Ben Simmons being where he's at, like, is he wrong Jackson with, with what he said to, to Chris
2: Haynes? No, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I, I, it's just one of those things where you don't. You don't have to be honest all the time, right? You don't have to speak your mind. Like, I, I, I my charitable interpretation, like I truly think, I don't think Katie meant any malice by what he said, but it just isn't something that you should probably say. And again, you know, we're not. We're not Edmund Summer, Nick Claxton, Royce O'Neill, Joe. Hart, we're not any of. The, so it all depends how they feel about things, right? If they're like, yeah, like Katie's right. They, when we're healthy, we you know maybe three of us wouldn't be starting uh and but if they're like well why are you throwing us like we're, we're doing all we can like joe harris back coming back from ankle surgery edmund summer towards acl last year claxon's having a really good year wrist neal's been pretty solid and he's not shooting the ball well inside the arc but over like 40 from three over the last you know couple of weeks and giving him good defense and playmaking so it's just all about how they interpret it, right it's something i would i would say as a teammate but i do think that they are at a lack of talent compared to maybe what we thought of them I mean, you look back to the nets at the let's just say the like after game two of the Bucs series, you know, a year and a half ago, they had Kyrie, James Harden, Kevin Durant all playing really well. And there's been some roster moves. You know, they, they brought in Seth Curry after that trade and, and you know, and Claxton's a better player now and whatnot. But now you, you that was a big three. That was the one that was going to lead them to this prolific offense and this great team. Kyrie's out. Uh, we don't know if he's ever coming back. They traded away James Harden and brought back Ben Simmons, a guy who they thought would be a third star, but has been a glaring negative for them. And so the idea was they have these three started company role players. And now, right. Currently it's just KD plus company role players. So they should be better than six and nine. And really it's the, the timing is funny because they had been playing pretty well since, I think they were four and one since Kyrie got suspended before yesterday. Uh, and that's not all on Kyrie. I'm not like I had some, I had some tweet about that, but like they definitely play, they look a little more fluid, look a little more cohesive on defense. Kyrie had been freelancing a lot on defense despite continuing to be a tremendous shot maker. Um so they, they looked better. Um, but there's no way, you know, it's only now it's only now they're on a six, they're four and two over a six frame stretch and they're fresh off a 32-point last like we said against a solid team, but you know, not a team that we expect to, you know, win 50 games, even if the kings are much improved and, and looking pretty good these days. So I again I don't I don't think Katie's wrong in his assessment in terms of the kind of the underlying notion being this isn't a particularly talented group when Simmons is struggling and Kyrie's out. But I just don't it wouldn't be something that if I was a teammate, I would probably read that charitably, but I don't, I, I, I'm not a teammate. I'm not any of these guys. So the bottom line is it comes down to how they respond to it and how, you know, inter, you know, head coach Jock, not interim anymore. Sorry, just head coach Jock Vaughn, you know, has to, and it just, it just puts everyone else in a, in, in a tough spot, right? It puts Vaughn in a difficult spot. It puts other assistant coaches, people work closely with those players. So um I don't want to criticize too much because I just don't know the ins and outs, but from my perspective, it's not something I would say, you know, it just as you know, to my teammates or people that I was working to accomplish a, a singular goal with.
1: So, Jackson, you're saying you wouldn't want to say that to me or Paul working at the uh, Liberty Ballers with us, right? That's that's what it is. <laughs>
2: I don't know why our, I don't know why our our, our listens are down this month. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You yeah. haven't been on the last couple of weeks, Jackson. There you go. That's why we're yeah, here Jackson Frank. They're, they're not like, here for yeah, us. Yeah, they're not here for I mean, us. Yeah. Here for us. <laughs> Me and Paula, the Joe <laughs> Harris and the Nick Claxton of the Liberty Ballers podcast uh, podcast <laughs> network. But uh, uh, Jackson, quick question for you. Yes or no. Does uh, does Kevin Durant finish off the season in Brooklyn?
2: I think so. I I just – he just – I don't know. He And there was some other quote in there where he, he seems at peace and he's enjoying what he's doing. And it's – I don't know. It's a shame that – I don't know. I don't know if – it is a bit of a bummer like in some senses that this is kind of the dominating narrative because KD has been freaking phenomenal this year. Part of their defensive upswing has been him being clax and it's also been KD flying around on and off the ball. There were some incredible plays against the Mavericks a couple of weeks ago where like, you know, the Mavericks want to play mismatch ball where they want to get Luka into advantageous positions and KD was like, you can settle the screen. I'm not switching off of Luka. And I'm going to make things tough and he's flying around offering protection inside the arc. So I just, I think, yes, yeah, is it at peace and I don't, it just, it just the way KD seems wired is it's all about basketball. He's only like, and I know that maybe he doesn't always, his actions don't always, maybe his actions always do, you know, uh, you know, suggest that and, and whatnot. He's all about basketball. It doesn't seem like he would want to go through kind of the, the hoops that might come with, you know, a midseason trade, you know, maybe, I get in the off season, right. We have more time to assimilate and kind of get things settled, but he seems at peace, like he said, and he's playing really good basketball. And I don't think this Nets team is as good as we thought, but I do think if Kyrie comes back, You know, Simmons looked a little better, you know, yesterday, a little more aggressive. If he can continue to get better, like this team isn't bad. They definitely seem to be better than their record. And I think, you know, that's where they start one and five. So five and four is baby steps, right? We're talking about baby steps with the Sixers. You know, it's a whole different magnitude, but right. We're talking a solid trip from the Sixers and a solid trip from the Nets. So I would, I would bet on Kite. sorry, KD. I won't bet on anything regarding Kyrie's future. I don't know. <laughs> that guy is an enigma. Um, but I would bet on KD being around because, like I said, he says he's at peace. He's playing really good basketball and, you know, slowly but surely, maybe the Nets are figuring it out even with, you know, their shellacking uh, against the, the four-in-a-row winners, uh, Sacramento Kings, on Tuesday.
1: Well, Paul, let's let's wrap up on this. And a guy, Jackson, just mentioned, and obviously we're, we talked about a lot throughout the last season and, and going into this one, Ben Simmons. Um, Shams came out with a report today saying that hey people are frustrated with him people are frustrated with his his level of commitment his level of effort um but you're going to be there on Tuesday I I I don't think you'd miss that for the world right even I mean, maybe you know well there's some reasons why you would but I mean in terms of for this <laughs> for job, last years game but that yeah was a, yeah, 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 game, yeah. But yeah in terms um, of for, yeah. this, for <laughs> the for a part of our job I mean you're going to you're going to be there uh Ben Simmons return what are you anticipating and you're obviously a, a Philly guy. Tell, fill us in on, on what you're anticipating the atmosphere to be like and how bad is he going to get it if he's actually in uniform that day.
0: It's going to get – yeah, I mean, it's going to be ugly. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be ugly. It, and uh, the the thing, and we always talk about it, the only thing you hope is it's just no one crosses the line. And I don't – from what I understand, it doesn't seem like anyone did, if I recall, unless you guys can correct me on that. I don't remember anyone – crossing the line last year in Philly when he was on the bench all game. I, I don't remember anything no, like that. The, then again, they got smoked. So maybe there was not a lot of bluster yeah, from the fan yeah. base to really, they couldn't really say anything. Then again, they're so pissed off that maybe that could have led uh, more to, to, <laughs> yeah. to a situation where someone says something they're that's really out of line. But no, I listen, I, I was never really a big booer when I, you know, in, in my fandom, it's just not really, I've done it here and there. It's not really my thing, but, you're a paying customer boo and do what you want. As long as you're staying within the confines of like good taste. Like I don't care. Boo. Call him a bum. Tell him <laughs> he stinks. Oh, fine. Go for it. Just don't cross any lines. And I, I, I think that's fine. And it, but it is, it's, it's listen, when he gets the whole thing, I'm sure you guys know this, that every time they announce the opposing starting lineup, uh, they say the name and a loud sucks chant uh, rings to the arena right after they say the name it will be the loudest sucks probably in the history well, of the world. Hard- right yeah. He hasn't he's been. Well, yeah, I, that's true too. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, and yeah.
2: the other thing too, is they have the out that he didn't play the second half of their back to back this weekend. And they play it back to back for them next week. So they, yeah, uh, that,
1: that back might flare up. I think that back might. flare Yeah. Up I too, mean, too. listen, I
2: well, it's the knee. It's, he's got the knee soreness. These the knee, days.
0: Yeah. The knee yeah. now he's got going on too, but the, I don't
2: the know. It's a very strong chance. Not a very, they're, they have a, a clear <laughs> avenue for him not to play.
0: It would be a very easy, yeah, a very easy thing I'll to say. one or the other, you know, they yeah. to
1: do it this point. Yeah. But they play again in Philly on January 25th, right? Like, I again, uh, would I be My shocked birthday. if he, if he, if yeah, uh, you know, there you can take the day off there, Paul, if you want. to. But <laughs> I mean, would you be shocked if? He doesn't play in both games. Honestly, like, again, no, I'm not Josh Benson is the, the, the person. I don't say anything bad about him, but as the player, it's like we've seen him kind of not accept and not go into the spotlight that comes with being a number one pick. So, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't suit up on Tuesday and he misses a game in January, too. But I'm with you. Don't I, I, Again, Paul, people are going to cross the line. Let's be realistic. If he's playing and he's on the court, people are going to be crazy. It's Philly. That's what's going to happen. But, um, Jackson, we'll wrap up on this, too. When, when you look at Ben Simmons career the the trajectory of where things have went especially obviously the last couple of seasons and going back to that Atlanta series uh back in 2021 in June where do you think he ends up is this kind of going to be the beginning of the end of him being looked at as an all-star this elite defender which he he obviously has the skill set to be or do you see him like he's got to work through these injuries got to work through these mental issues and he might be able to get back to where we saw him a a couple of seasons ago
2: yeah I don't I think you know the someone who covers the league through predominantly, you know, optimistic lens. I want to say that he can get back there just because I think he's a, he's a unique player and his, his defense, especially is super fun, but right now he doesn't even beyond just like the passivity that, you know, we've seen dating back to that Atlanta series. He doesn't look the same athletically. He doesn't look as, as lively on the ball defensively. He doesn't look as powerful or strong or explosive, you know, even on his drives, you know, when he does occasionally drive offensively, um, you know, I think he's reading the floor pretty well. The passing is still there. He's had some really good off-ball rotations the last couple of weeks defensively. But you know, that was what made him such a good player, right? Was the was both the instincts on both ends and the way he read the floor, in conjunction with a six eleven frame who could move like he was 6'4 and had the strength of a six seven wing. Uh, and that none of that's been there. And I just just he had a lob yesterday where he didn't get off the ground very far. And I'm not, he's never been like a you know, Robert Williams level of vertical athlete, but he's been a pretty good one for most of his career. Some tremendous dunks, you know, on lobs and and, and fast breaks and whatnot. But right now, no, he, he, he's a bad NBA player right now. And that can change. You know, he took a year and a half off from basketball almost. And, you know, it was, it ended up having surgery for a back injury or that's, I don't know if this specific back injury has been the one that's bothering him, but he's had back injuries dating back at least three or four years, at least back to the, bubble year I remember he left that Milwaukee game and missed a lot of the a lot of the year.
0: Yeah I think like, that might have been yeah it might have been 2019. Yeah it's it's yeah been, but it's I remember, been, yeah,
2: yeah, he yeah. That, but at least he was gonna miss a lot of time with that back injury in the 2019 20, 19, 20 1920 season um but then the you know season was paused and he only missed a little bit of time before the knee injury flared up you know in the bubble uh or the hyper extension whatever it was but uh yeah right now he, he's a guy who's last two or three seasons have been injury riddled and for a guy who's so durable for his first three years, doesn't look like that same little of athlete and he reads the floor pretty well, but he's not a particularly good player. If he doesn't have that, you know, borderline elite athleticism. So uh, I, I think it's important. No one has to like Ben Simmons as a player. I'm not saying that, but like I think it is important to give him time to get back to that player. I'm sure you can criticize him as much as you want. I wrote a piece today about praising Nick Clarkson and saying that, you know, he's been really good, but also it's been easy to start him over Ben because Ben hasn't been good at all. But you know, so I I don't I don't think he'll ever get back to kind of that maybe that all nba top thirty level we've seen him at before. But I don't think it's unreasonable to rule, you know, say he gets back to being an above average starter, top 50, 60 player. Um, but it's definitely gonna take some time for sure. And it doesn't get any easier when you have, you know, this knee soreness flaring up now. And I think in the Sean's piece, his ankles are kind of bothering him. So um, to be twenty, like, you know, be twenty-six and having all these different things, you know, kind of flaring up over the years. Takes a tool. So, um, a little bit pessimistic on that front, but I do think, you know, if you're just examining things through the lens of can he get back to being a high level MA player, yes, it's going to take some time. But I understand that people don't really want to wait for that or give him the time because they just don't enjoy him as a player. But part of me wants to, you know, weigh it out. But I, like I said, I don't begrudge anyone for feeling otherwise about his on court uh, performance and decline and, you know, long term prospects.
1: Well, it's, it, again from a from a basketball standpoint though. It's going to be it's just going to be fun. It's one of those games that you have circled when when the schedule gets released. Hopefully he's in the lineup, gets it done and over with. You know, obviously he wasn't able to play last year after the trade, dealing with the back stuff. Now he's dealing with multiple injuries, so hopefully he's back on the court. And It would be uh, fun if Tuesday. he played well.
0: It would be, you know what I mean. Like I think that would make it. And more they lost. Expensive. I mean,
1: and Brooklyn lost, sure. right? Ball, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Like if he if he plays well, and there's like a back and forth with the crowd, and then like maybe I don't know, he goes up for like a big shot late, and be blocks it like in the crowd and everyone loses their mind. You know what I mean? Like it it would make it, it's not as fun when he's, you know, like Jackson said, when he's not quite himself and I don't expect, you know, he's not miraculously going to be, you know, 2019, 20 Ben Simmons by, by Tuesday. (laughs) But, um, it, it does make it more fun if he's closer to himself and he's closer to that player. And then, and then the Sixers beat him, right? Like that's, that's more fun than, than seeing a compromised version of him losing to the Sixers and maybe not playing well. Like, um, So, yeah, I I just I if he plays, I just really hope he is is better than the player we've seen so far. And yeah, I I, and I'm with Jackson, like I'm the type of person who like I want the guy to do well. Like, you know what I mean? Not I don't want him to do better than the Sixers, but I want him to do. I want him to just from a NBA, a fan of the game and someone who just. You know, who followed his career and who who covered him and and saw the moments that he had. He had some very special moments as a Philadelphia 76er. So there's there's stuff in there that is great. And, you know, you you don't want to see that just be gone by the age of 26. Like you hope that he rediscovers that. And, you know, and, and again, when the Sixers, if and when the Sixers do beat him, they beat him at his his best
1: yeah I'm with you too and I think coming from that perspective we want to see a good game and you want to just see as a person you just want to see him get back on track and, and right. hopefully get back to that level so hopefully he does and we're, we're anticipating hey the Sixers got a big one on Friday against Milwaukee uh Saturday to take on the Timberwolves and obviously we'll all be waiting to see what happens with that Tuesday game but fellas let's uh let's wrap things up here for this stream we'll be back trying to do this pretty much every week on Wednesdays uh Jackson and I will be on the post game show on Tuesday next week after after the Brooklyn Nets game so uh for Kevin Durant of the Liberty Ballers podcast network which is Jackson. <laughs> Frank, thank you for having uh, Royce O'Neal and, and Joe Harris on with you, uh, Jackson. We appreciate that, but uh, we'll wrap things up. Obviously, good to talk to you guys, and and we'll do this again soon. Right
2: on, appreciate, it. appreciate you having. Me.
0: I guess I'm the Joe Harris because of the hair. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you'll take Joe Harris. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll take whatever. I'll take. I'll, I'll take broke. Uh, Blake Griffin from last year, whatever it is. We're, we're, <laughs> we're just not on Jackson's level. He's back, so downloads <laughs> downloads will be up again this week. But thanks, fellas. Uh, we'll we'll talk to you guys soon. Sounds
0: good.